Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the Ski Instructor Podcast. My name is Dave Burrows and I'm the director and owner of Snowpro Ski School based here in Valdilier in Switzerland. And looking out of my window today, I am seeing snow all the way deep into the valley. Quite the change from uh, episode 50 when, yeah, it was all looking pretty grim and pretty bleak. So, yeah, I'm looking out now. Snow completely, you know, down to well, where are we at in the village here, like 900 meters or something like that. Um all the way down, great snow covering. I've been up skiing today and uh, the snow is exceptional. Um, it's that super grippy kind of cold stuff. It's like minus 10 up there and it's just fantastic. Absolutely incredible change to, you know, the conditions that we were we were in about two weeks ago. So everything is open up again now in the Port de Soleil. Um, no one's moaning anymore. The only thing they might be moaning about is, is it's too cold. But uh, long story short is that we're all good to go and actually there's some really cool like tracks across the valley from me where people have been randoing up the uh up the other side where there's there's sort of nothing and there's all these wonderful kind of trails that are that we're seeing from people who have kind of randoed up and then sort of work their way down on the don de midi front side so uh so that's really really cool and lovely to see um Got a great um, part one of a video uh, interview that I have done um, with Stuart Bernard of Ski Focus. Um, Stuart works, splits his time between teen and uh, and the UK, and he teaches indoors in the UK, and then he takes his his clients out to the Alps um, and and works with them out there as well. And um, I found Stuart incredibly interesting and a really really lovely um, sort of present. And, and in-depth chat with him about you know his journey what for you know what brought him to um you know start his own company his philosophy of skiing and a lot of stuff in here about sort of the power of the mind and, and mindset coaching and all of that sort of thing so um i very very much enjoyed making this sort of two parts that's coming up um the first part i did um, with Stuart and I didn't really feel like we sort of finished it off properly so the second part was done about a month after and you'll, you'll hear that next time I get a chance to edit this but uh, this was a spare afternoon that I had and I just figured that I should get on with this because I don't know the next time that I'm going to be able to get my my head up to do anything like this um, for a little while it's an incredibly busy month for us January is just one thing after another um, day after day after day so um, yeah that's uh, that's what we've got coming up um, like I say conditions are great i've yeah and and i think probably what i'm going to do now actually is just let the first half of this go and then you'll hear a little bit more for me uh from me in the middle because i've got a bit of correspondence and uh and some other stuff as well so um all good enjoy the first half of this and i will catch you somewhere in the middle So have you been? Uh, how's things with you? Have you been working? You've been in the uh, UK. Yeah. So the last um, 
I don't know if you've seen much on social media. Basically, the last couple of days I've been running uh, a free kind of ski test um, at at the snow centre in Hemel, oh, which right. has been really cool actually. So with a couple of like partners I work with, so I work with Atomic and Ski Bartlett. Nice. And All right. Yeah, we've done we've done a two well I've done a two day um, ski test uh, where we combine uh, testing of skis with coaching as well so yeah it's gone really well actually so we did that on tuesday and tuesday and wednesday um yeah. which was good fun we had um, quite a few people in the end which was cool um so it's been quite hectic did you <laughs> organizing that and, yeah and running that have you been doing that you say with atomic yes yes okay and so what i mean this is interesting in itself so what what um what skis are they they putting out for what what have been the popular ones so the the well the the popular ones from the test were a mixture of different ones because we had a mixture of different skiers. We tend to have on those tests um, a big proportion of kind of instructors or people on the instructor pathway. But this one we had a slightly less, but there was a bit of a mixture. So we had some some guys who were training ski instructors, I guess, different like part like areas within the basic system. They were kind of progressing through. So. Those guys kind of liked more of the PST type skis, so um, like the X X nine um, X nine S, I think it was. Mm. That was really popular. Also, the X nine. I'm trying to remember <laughs> the X nine I wide body, which is slightly wider underfoot. That was really popular, actually. Okay, how um, wide is wide? How wide? And that's a very good question. <laughs> I can't remember off the top of my head, but basically, it's um the x range i guess are like a cross between a slalom and gs ski kind of performance and the the wide body is a wider version of that okay so it's a really nice kind of performance type ski yeah but is that little bit wider so you have you know that little bit more surface area for kind of variable type snow and stuff um so that one was pretty popular along with we had some um you know, the, the slalom range, we had a, the slalom skis as well. So we had some S9s, we had some factory S9s as well, which were popular as well. So all of those kind of ranges were really popular with the, the better skiers. Um, and then the Q range as well, which um, again is a little bit of a cross between a slalom GS ski and slightly wider underfoot. Um, actually, I tried the. Um, I forgot the full name of it, but it's it was it was a Q nine something. I can't remember the end of it. That actually, I was really impressed with actually. Right. Um, and actually, I tried that in a lower level, and I like a like a lower spec one. Um, and bearing in mind it's a lower spec model, I thought it skied really well. Yeah. Um, for that kind of the ability it was aimed at. So yeah, fully impressed actually. So it's a really good kit for next season. Okay. I've, I've just taken the opportunity at my own risk because you, you you know full well how bad my internet is when uh, when there's a cloud on the other side of the valley. But I've gone <laughs> onto the Atomic website, so I'm having a look at it now. So it's the X range, is it that you were talking about? The ones that the the green ones, basically. Yeah, the green one and the X nine I. So the uh, is I'm really torn between. So there's an X nine mm. S. And I've got last season's version of that myself. Yeah. And I thought the X9 green one, the S, 
was easier to turn than the one of previous the one of previous years. It's just, I, they've used slightly different technology. Okay. Uh, I'm not completely au fait with it, with the technology they use, but it, it does seem a little bit easier to ski. So it'd be nice to ski it like on a mountain and see what it would, you know, what it can really do. Yeah. But I know the X9 because I have it is amazing ski, but a bit of a handful in the bumps because it's pretty stiff. Yeah. So I wonder if this ski might be a little bit more forgiving for that. Okay. Um, and, and also, I don't know if you can see on there. If you are you on the Atomic dot com site, I am. Has it got the X nine I on there? Oh, but now you're asking a lot of my internet. I've uh, so far, I've got <laughs> so far, I've got the X nine S. So that comes in the one seven five, one sixty three, one sixty seven. Which length do you ski yeah. it in? Oh, hello. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. So, yeah, they're different lengths, yeah. Yeah, what length do you ski it in normally? I ski it in 175. Okay. Uh, but I'm quite tall, but I don't know what. how tall are you. What kind of length do you normally I'm ski? I'm 186, so I've got, yeah, I, I tend, I've gone back in recent years to skiing slightly shorter ski, so I ski a one, I ski a Casle in a 176 or 175, okay. I don't know what length it is these days. Um, when... I want to do something that vaguely looks a bit like performance, but I've also got like a mega long pair or well, mega long, like 186, which I use. And my telemark skis are 188. So I kind of, I like the feeling of a long ski when you've got room for it, but um, actually it's quite hard to ski a long ski all the time. So yeah. Yeah, it's hard work, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah a little bit. Um, okay, so the X9S, right, I'm going to go back now, back a page. Have you tried them? They'd be worth a ski on because yeah, they're, they're pretty narrow underfoot. They're pretty similar to like a slalom ski underfoot. Yeah, my um, my ex-colleague, Kurt, um, hi, Kurt, if you're listening, Kurt, who now works in, uh, what is it called, Mount something or other, is near Bend in Oregon, and he... So he went there to, he's sort of retired, but he can't keep away from the, the skiing. So he's working there happily now, which is really cool. Um, but he used to have a pair of either the red ones or the green ones, and he raved about them. He thought they were brilliant. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, I can't see these ones that are, oh, hang on. Right, S9, I'm in the S9 performance range. Oh, sorry, X, X9. Uh, X, X9. I can't find the eyes or the wide body. It's not listed on the website. So maybe you've got some uh, advanced technology that hasn't come out yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are worth a ski. If you can try those, they're yeah. really worth a ski. The, the X9i yeah. is uh, – um, I tried – they had it in a longer length, actually. They had it in a 183. Yeah. Um, it didn't feel like a 183. It felt fairly easy to turn, bearing yeah. in mind the length, in, in a snow dome as well. Um and is a slightly different construction. Yeah, but pretty good. But the the most popular one was the X Nine I Wadi. So if you can try them, they're the ones that are so the wide bodies of a slightly wider version. Yeah, um, they, uh, yeah, they were probably my favourite too. Actually, okay. out of those, those well, maybe all of the skis actually. Yeah, well, that's good to know. Um, I'll bear it in mind if, uh, if I happen to come to a ski test. Ski tests are kind of 
I don't know, I seem to not come across them very often. There's always a head one somewhere in Morjan quite often, and then every now and then, I think manufacturers have started to work out that it's quite a good thing, but the, the queues are always massive. So every now and then you get one at the weekend. Um, I saw, an, what was the other manufacturer? I saw Nordica were doing one, I think, last mm. year. Um, I mean, they're pretty cool. It'd be nice to do. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, I don't know, you just never get any time time to tell. Like, so I'm going to go back this year what have I got in the garage? I've got a pair I really need to get sent to the shop. I could do them myself, but I'll just send them to the shop uh, to be serviced. So I've got my pair of Castlays. I've got two two pairs of those. I've got one in pla in a pair of plastic, which which is kind of like the spare set because they don't make that ski anymore. Um, and then I've got this other big set, which I'm going to revive for this year, uh, which is like an IGS uh, 186, which is a very comfortable ski to day-to-day -day ski on. Um, you know, it's kind of long and quite lazy. Uh, it's like an X racers GS ski, you know. Um, so that's that's quite a cool thing, and I really like like to ski that. And I've actually I've finally got myself a pair of powder skis, uh, which I have been hunting for, but I haven't got a binding for it. And it's supposed to be coming to Phil Brown, and Phil has not yet given me that. So I'm going to write that down and chase him about that. So yeah, all good. Okay, cool. Well, look, thanks for joining me on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Um, tell me a little bit because you work, you split your time, don't you, between uh, the French Alps, so you you're out in Teen a lot, and as far as I can tell, and you also work a lot indoors. And I always see videos that you post, and you're very active and doing that kind of thing, where you're always in snow dome. So, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about kind of what your what your life looks like as a ski instructor these days? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, probably the best thing is if I explain a little bit about my kind of the, my history, I guess, in, in skiing, that will help you maybe understand why I do quite a lot in the UK. So yeah, please do. Um, when I initially started in the kind of the Basie system and things like that, I, um, I had a, <laughs> I had a, like a private lesson initially at one of the dry slopes. Okay. Um, and lesson was with, um, Pete Gillespie, who you maybe have heard of. Pete Gillespie's like tied to everybody who comes on this podcast somehow. He's like, everyone's <laughs> like one step removed away from Pete Gillespie. Yes, everyone knows him. So <laughs> I had like a private lesson with him to see, like, first of all, whether he thought I'd, you know, be any good as a, a ski instructor. And I had that lesson and he said yes. And then I, well, basically, I then did the, the foundation course, which is the equivalent of the level one yeah. uh, in team. Um, and then started working at Hemel Dryslope, which is where Pete was working. And it just so happened there was a lot of people that all were right around that time. So Warren Smith, I worked with him. Okay. Um, so me, Warren, and another guy called Ali Smith, who you may have heard of yeah. or not. I'm not sure. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Um, we all kind of started at the same time. There are a few. There are a few years older than me, but I kind of started at the same era, and we all working at you know, Hemel Dry Slope. So, you know, good company to be with, which yeah. kind of inspired me. And um, I kind of, they kind of took me under their wing a little bit. So I, the Pete did quite a bit of training with me and so did Warren mm -hmm. uh, coaching me up. And then I just kind of got, got the bug really and thought, ah, oh, this is what I really enjoy and started progressing through the system. And initially up until I got, actually I got my, my old Bayesian system, level one, mm -hmm. Bayesian level one, so level four, technical part um 
without doing any seasons. I was based in the UK. So I was like oh. working on a dry slope and going out training, working on dry slope, going out training. So I didn't actually do seasons. So a lot of my initial background was working on dry slopes and teaching on, on plastic. So mm-hmm. I've done a lot of that and then went from Hemel to Wickham. Um, I don't know if you know, do you know much about the, like the dry slopes in the UK at all? Yeah, I do, I, do you know, it's funny, I was just thinking about that as you were talking about it because I, over the summer I was just back meeting a, a, a mate of mine um, and I happened to be at, um, in Welling Garden City and I was like, oh, I remember skiing here. And I sort of said to him, look, have you got five minutes? I was just diverted. And, uh, and I ended up like, looking at this slope at Gosling and I was like, wow, like, I remember, like, I did, I learned at Hemel, but I didn't, um, at Hemel Hempstead dry ski slope, and, but I went skiing recreationally at Gosling, I was like looking at this place thinking, wow, that, well, one, you know, I like brushed my hand over the carpet, I was like, wow, this thing is lethal, like, just, <laughs> like how, 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 like, you know, first world problems have I got, that, that, you know, well, well, the, the, the stuff I used to ski on is now no longer, you know good enough but secondly it was um it was more the case of it was like you know it wasn't as big as i remember it being and it was just like it's just like, like another world you know it was in the middle of middle of august so it's hot as well but yeah it's crazy and there was someone having like a lesson on the slope i was like wow look at this you know it's like 35 degrees or something it was uh it was crazy crazy time so yeah I, i'm aware of it and we've done some previous podcasts uh the, the, with people that are kind of working on on dry slopes all over so so yeah I'm, I'm kind of a bit i'm well aware of the scene for sure okay cool yeah i mean that's interesting you i'm surprised we haven't bumped into each other before actually yeah i do well, i imagine we plan ships in the night and all that sort of stuff but yeah yeah so i did um i did a bit of I started coaching at Wickham, um, which they, they had a big fire actually in 2005. So it was before then. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was originally managed by Andrew, Andrew Lockerbie. All right. So I worked a lot with him. So I was really lucky with the types of people that I kind of worked with as I was kind of progressing through yeah, the system, sure. as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of my initial kind of grassroots kind of teaching knowledge has come from dry slope and then it then as snowdome started to crop up more then i started doing a lot more um work in snowdome so from i'm trying to remember now but like my first kind of season around 2004 ish mm. that's when i started doing seasons in team so winter in team and then summer in the uk at, and that was at that point that would have been more snowdomes actually so i was teaching snowdomes but for myself and then working on the mountains uh, in team, um, initially with Bass, and mm. then I set up my own business as well. So um, I ran that year round. So basically, in, in like, when was it? Like 1998, I set up my own ski teaching, UK ski teaching business yeah. uh, called Ski Focus, where that's where I kind of, I guess, built a lot of my ideas um, from dry slope, snow domes, and then carrying that across into the kind of the mountain environment and then vice versa, if you see what I mean. Yeah, 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 I do. Um, and then in the, just bit, and in fact, as from COVID, basically, mm. that's when things shifted quite a lot. So, um, you know, parents getting a bit older, they're needing a bit more support at home. So our, 
my kind of our plans kind of changed a little bit. So rather than being based out in team during the winter, like mm. for the whole season, it's switched to doing like being more UK based and going out to team for a couple of weeks per month. Obviously last winter was a, a little bit more complicated with travel restrictions sure and things. Was, so yeah. I pushed everything until March. Uh-huh. Um, but that's the plan to move forward is be UK based, but travel out to team to work for a couple of weeks here and there each month. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, terrific. Let me, uh, do you mind if we just tangent on something? Because you mentioned something quite interesting sure. there, because it's something that just, just well, has, has occurred to me in the last six months. You, know, you, you sort of, as you as you grow up, you have, I'm, I'm old, how old am I now? 45. So as you grow up, you have your sort of your parents and you, you kind of view them as like a fixed age to a certain point. But in the last couple of years, I kind of looked at my parents and like, wow. You guys are actually getting on a little bit now, you know. Like they're, they're, they're and it's, it's a funny thing to see see that, you know. Do, do, I don't know whether, whether I'm making sense or not. It's just something I'm just saying. But the, um, you sort of see them, and then obviously I'm out here, and you think, well, what happens if my parents are, you know, they get a bit older, and they need, like you say, they need a bit more support. And we're living out here in the Swiss Alps, and you know, is, is there going to be a lot of flying backwards and forth in my future? It's, um, it's really. It's something I guess you have to kind of arrive at and then deal with at some point. I could, yeah, I can completely understand where you're coming from there. That was so. My my brother lives locally to my parents, and basically, if I didn't come back, mm. like it would mean he has to deal with you know things. Yeah. So it, the the ideal the idea was to try to relieve some of that or try to get a compromise. I guess there is, um, like in the skiing industry if you're a ski instructor i guess there is a there gets to be a point where you have to make a a choice as to where you're going to be based whether it is abroad somewhere Mm -hmm. or like especially so i've got a son who is now 13 now so um and he's well we're i'm separated from his mum but when i was away during the winter i was traveling forwards and backwards to see him every Mm -hmm. couple of weeks um so there has never been the uh, the thought to, for, for us to move out to France for, you know, year-round, for example. Yeah. So I've always been travelling forwards and backwards. But then I guess there comes a point where you have to make a decision where, for me personally anyway, well, like where is the best place to be? So I guess if I was still with his mum, for example, um, then there would be a choice of like, you know, do we base ourselves in France for schooling mm. purposes or in the UK? Obviously, we separate, so it's different. But mm. I guess that does reach that point. And then the same thing with parents as well. It's like, do I want to be traveling forwards and back to help? Or do I want to be more like, uh, you know, closer so I can mm. deal with day-to-day mm. things? I Yeah, I, it's just kind of, I guess, uh, chapters of people's lives, isn't it? It's like, yeah, and your yeah. priorities, I guess. I. Yeah, I don't know. It's a difficult one, but I'm I'm glad you picked, you know you've, you've kind of highlighted that. That was quite an interesting. I th- yeah, I think to- I mean it's it's a it's a funny thing because that 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 is a real thing that you mentioned. You know, like the the drop off rate in in our industry normally around the age of about thirty is huge. So you've got these amazing instructors who kick around for a few years. You know, real talent. Uh, working with people and all of that sort of thing, and then you know, the 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 the, the 
um, the, the, the way it normally goes is that they meet someone and then they settle down with that someone and they, and then that's it. They're lost. They just drop out of the industry and they go and get, you know, I'll do air quotes here, a real job or something. And, you know, you've got to commit really. I think if you're going to, if you're going to really make a go of it out here, I don't think it's difficult to kind of um, carry on that seasonal life after a certain point where you come out and you do, you know, three or four months in the Alps and then you go back and you work, you know, a temporary job for the rest of the year and then you come out and do it, you know, like you're very, you're nomadic. You don't have that, you don't have any certainty about your life, you know, like you, you sort of, you just end up doing this thing and you leave your mates behind and certain things become important to you at different times. And um, it's happened to a few people that I know, um, notably my my first business partner with with my ski school, um, who's now a, a primary school teacher. Uh, Ben's now a primary school teacher in in, uh, in Nottingham, and he met a girl and he settled down. They've got a kid and a dog, and like kind of they're doing all that sort of thing. And he just could not do any more. That you know, four months here, eight months at home, four months here, like he just just couldn't do it anymore, and he just had enough. And I think there comes a point when you've got to commit. So you either move out here and you learn the language and you settle down and you move to France or you move to Austria or you move to Italy or, or Switzerland or wherever it might be, or you, you, it's just not sustainable in the long term to live your life like that, I don't think. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with you there. I, that's that's so true. Um, and I actually, I'm lucky that my my wife now she's a she's a ski instructor, so she's in the same industry. Yeah. Um, so that does help. But um, you, you're right. There is a point, or I feel there is a point where you have to make a decision where you're going to be because to maintain the travelling forwards and backwards, uh, I it for a season is uh, is quite is quite challenging, particularly if you have children and how that might impact on them, mm. like going. From, I mean, you know, everyone finds their solutions, but like, um, for me to, uh, to, you know, to take my son in and out of school, I don't think it's particularly fair, like from one country to the next. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone has their own solutions and whatever works for them, but, um, yeah, no, I'm not, I think I'm on the same kind of thoughts as you. It's very difficult to maintain that. And at some point, I guess there is a, a, a tough decision to make, um, where you're going to be or finding a compromise at least. Mm. Um, yeah, no, that's really interesting. I, I've kind of thought about it, but never really spoken about it like that. So it's interesting to talk about it. Mm. And what, what, um, so then your journey, so you're sort of, uh, you've designed your business or your life around your circumstances. So that's what led you to kind of expand ski focus a little bit and, and end up doing kind of, I'm guessing you're taking clients to the, to the Alps and you are then running the, your, your sort of year round business within the domes, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. So the idea or what it has been, um, well, actually, no, before, yeah, so basically I work with people in the UK and then some of those people will then come away mm-hmm. with me um, to team. Some of them won't. Um, it's a bit, real bit of a mixture. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of the direction I'm taking it in. And it's, like I said, there has been a bit of a shift in, like I said, being based in the UK mm-hmm. um, and traveling out for a couple of weeks here and there rather than being based there. So before I was based there in the winter, yeah. So people were coming out for the, you know, 
doing like three hour sessions, for example, like one or three hour sessions. Whereas now I've kind of shifted everything. So it's like you come out for a week as opposed. So I've had to change my business slightly to adapt to, yeah, like you say, the circumstances and things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, oh, that's okay. I think that's a really nice model. I mean, it'd be, I, I like that idea of having a sort of a club that you can bring, you know, you can bring people and they can really focus on something for, for the week. Um, you know, I look over in Verbier and Warren Smith runs a similar model. I mean, it's not, you know, he's not, yeah, he, yeah, he does run a similar model and he kind of has a program that he works through for the, for the week. Um, and I know a few other people are kind of doing a similar thing. And obviously if you've got a loyal client base who, who have got, who's got, you know, they want to hear what you've got to say and you work for them, then then it makes sense that they would come out and, and, and have that with you. Definitely. I, what I like actually with that is that you get to know people. A lot of my clients are regular clients, so they're people that I ski with on a regular basis. So you get to know them on a different level. So it's lovely that, isn't it? And, like it's not, I guess it's not like ski instructing, it's more like coaching. So yeah. you get to know them over over years as opposed to do one week skiing and then you don't see them for a year. I, yes, I do have some clients like that, but mm. the higher proportion of people that I work with over a, over a longer period, which I quite enjoy because you get to know them, I guess, more on a, a friendship level as well rather yes. than just, you know, while you're skiing with them for a week and then you don't see them for a year. And so, yeah, I quite like that. Yeah, it's, good. it's it is it's lovely, and we I'm just in the middle now. We've just opened our diary for the winter, and we deliberately kind of hold people back until September. Um, but we've just had so many of our regular clients book their kids in for like you know every weekend throughout the season, um, and it's a similar thing. It's lovely because you really really get to be part of those kids' lives. You know, and you really get to have that chance to make a difference to, yeah, to their lives. And, and you know, you might end up giving them that, that sort of magical piece of advice that stays with them for, for forever, you know. And that is, uh, that's something that I really, really value. Not so much, you know, the, the one-off stuff when people come out for holidays and things, that's, that's different, you know, like you've got a limited amount of time. But the ones where you can really build a relationship with those kids... I think he's really, really, really lovely. I'm seeing now, I've been out here for long enough now that I'm seeing or have seen um, three or four quite extraordinary young men and women who I've known since they were like seven or something who are now kind of off, off to university or off to kind of the next stage of their life. And you just like, it's been amazing to see them grow up and you see them and they're kind of, you know, there's a, there's a, there's something more there than it would be, you know, that, that guy taught me how to ski a little bit. There's, there's something deeper, you know? the first half of uh, the interview with Stuart um, 
as I mentioned, I think he's a super, super interesting guy, and and I like the the, the way that he takes the time to think about things and and sort of very clear and concise with uh, with the answers that he gives. So um, so yeah, I hope that you are enjoying that as much as I I enjoyed um, making it. Now uh, got a bit of correspondence. Uh, this is from Michael. Um, I like I say I really really like it when people write in, and um, I really really appreciate it um, when people do. Um, obviously, I can tell from the stats and stuff that people are listening, but it's always nice to kind of hear from people who are out in the real world and take the time to write so i really appreciate that um michael says hi dave how are you um i just finished listening to the katie dobson episode and it was great uh i love a tangent it's when you it's when you know you are both so comfortable with each other and it makes the chat and the story even more interesting um he goes on to say when you were talking about esf i thought i would mention my recent experience with with them over new years relating to my five-year-old he was signed up to the first etoile in les arcs a full group of 12 one instructor an older french lady one other british kid thankfully um my son enjoyed it and I did learn things, but my wife and I have had a massive issue with the way ESF handled their awards and passing of the level. He skied well, but not consistently enough for them to award the Flocon badge. No issue there. She went on to tell a five-year-old that he failed in a negative way and not praise him on what he did achieve, and that's pretty poor. Um, I only found out what she had said to him three days later when he whispered it to his older brother and said he didn't want to take the badge to school because he'd failed and he didn't get the real badge. Uh, Luckily, these types of things don't really bother him, but I would hate for an experience like that to dampen anyone's love of skiing when they are learning. Uh, As for my older son, he was signed up to the competition level class, which they cancelled the day prior and downgraded him to gold. Then they linked that group silver, so it was a fairly big downgrade. He did one lesson, we pulled him out, and fortunately they refunded us for that. All in all, that will be the last time that we use the ESF. Apart from that, it was a great week away. Time in the mountains is always good for the soul. Keep up the good work, all the best. Um, Michael. I appreciate that, and uh, the mountain times in the mountains is good for the soul. I'm going through a little um, sort of phase at the moment. I hope it's something that I'll, I'll keep going with in my life, where I'm kind of at the end of the day, I'm writing down in a journal all the kind of positive stuff that's happened to me in a day, and um, and one of the big things that keeps coming up day after day after day is just the love of the scenery around here. So you know, I always take time, make sure during the day that I'm kind of looking out for for beautiful things, and and you're right, it is really really good for the soul um as regards your other points you know I, I i'm not surprised um and you know i don't know stereotypes exist for a reason and and we see you know that is the the, the kind of the french way i suppose in many ways um i don't know enough about it but it's uh, it's certainly something that we don't do and i'm i've also got a five-year-old at home and, and we've been kind of yeah, battling with the idea of um me as a dad and me as a ski instructor and trying to work out some sort of middle ground so that I can sort of push my you know, daughter's skiing level if she wants it and um and but also trying to balance that off with a um with trying to have a good time and I think if you you can have these negative experiences that put kids off for you know for life. Um, my wife doesn't ski; she had a bad experience twenty five years ago, and, and 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 as such hasn't touched a pair of skis since. And that's you know another skier lost to uh, 
to to the industry. Um, I'm in fact I'm working tomorrow morning with a little girl who's who's kind of had her confidence knocked by being in that kind of group collective class environment. And uh, for some kids, it just just doesn't work for them. Um, I think there are other kids who who do respond to that kind of pressure of skiing around with people that are faster or better than them. But I don't, you know. I don't really rate it. It's why my ski school doesn't offer it. We don't do groups and, and we never will. And, uh, and so for me, it just doesn't, just doesn't work, but I can understand why people do do that. Um, there are certain cost pressures and certain economies that you get from, from putting kids in, in, you know, group lessons. Um, but yeah, I've heard too many stories like that to, uh, to, to want to offer it as a, as a product. And in fact, I've also worked, you know, many years as well doing those lessons. And I know just how little gets done in, in that kind of environment. So, um, um, sympathize with your situation um you know uh, for the money that you may have spent you know maybe your kids will get more out of uh, a series of of you know private lessons but a shorter in duration and and then after that you know my advice would be just take your kids skiing keep it fun and uh and you know plenty of hot chocolate stops and cafes and just explore and uh, and the skiing sort of comes along along with it um yeah, but uh, but I appreciate the correspondence. Thank you very much for that. And uh, hopefully one of these days I will get to interview someone with, you know, from the ESF and maybe we can uh, get a real idea of, of, you know, how it all works. Um, that would be really cool. Anyway, yeah, so uh, the only other information that I have that is new is I've got a new pair of boots. I never thought I'd get into a 92mm last um, boot, but I'm now skiing the Lang... Uh, RS130, I think it's RS130. Anyway, it's a 92mm uh, last proper race boot. I have never had a boot in my life that is so precise. Um, needs a bit of work just to kind of make a couple of little more, bit more things fit. It is super, super tight. I've never had my heel um, so held so well. And, um, you know, turning the ski now is literally as simple as, as sort of turning my feet, which I thought I had a pretty good fit on that before. But um, but now uh, I've got a whole new level, which is um, which is surprising and good and interesting. And certainly that boot is able to put a lot more power down than I am used to. So that's taking some getting used to as well is the precision and the, and the, the translation of my effort into and through the boot into the ski um so that's going to take some some getting used to um certainly the flex pattern is different as well i feel like i've got a very nice level of flex in my ankles now which is really really cool which didn't have before either um so yeah all in all um yeah whole new set of balancing going on in my life which is really really cool and i've got the added misfortune in that the new boots are dark blue and my skis are uh, not matching my poles are not matching gloves not matching and whilst that is probably unimportant to a lot of you it's quite important to me and um yeah a bit disappointed with that so i'm gonna have to probably buy some new skis which is no bad thing anyway enjoy the second half of this interview with Stuart. um i hope you really really enjoy it and uh, i will be back as soon as i get any time with part two of this and uh and uh, we can go from there until then whatever you're doing um enjoy the snow enjoy these magnificent conditions that we are having um it's set fair for another week and and i, and I hope that you um you really have an opportunity to get out there and, and, and enjoy what we've got going on right now. Thanks a lot. See you.
yeah, no, I can really resonate with that. Um, and um, I, yeah, similar thing for me. Like over time and over the years of kind of working on dry slopes and and abroad and things, obviously you get to know like teaching ki- like kids when they were like really young and seeing them grow up and things. So yeah, it's I can yeah yeah it's quite amazing, especially when they when they contact you out of the blue or something like that, and you see how you know see how different they are. You're like an adult and you've got kids. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really good. In fact, I ran. Um, uh, one of the, the ski tests we were talking about before, I had I ran an event like a free kind of taster sessions, I think it was, and I had a couple of people that booked on. I think it was either that or the ski test. I can't remember. Mm. Anyway, a couple of guys that booked on, um, and one of them I used to so I used to coach the race club at um, Wickham Dry Slope, mm-hmm. and one of the one of the lads on there who booked on. Um, was from them, and that he was uh, when it, when I was coaching him, he must have been like ten or something. And then when he was on the the, the test I was doing or the, the taste today, he must have been like twenty odd. But I hadn't seen him since he was a kid. He's yeah. exactly the same. It's quite funny. And, and his, his brother was with him as well, and I hadn't coached him since then either. And uh, it was it was just really nice to see people that you haven't seen for a long time, um, and you know, to, to ski with him after, oh, I don't know, like 15, nearly 20 years. It's quite amazing. Um, just to, yeah, no, that's good. Really, I really enjoy that. What really happened that. to, just fill me in on the rest of your journey, because at some point, you're, so you're running also, I'm guessing you're running within the the, the Snowdome structure, you're running sort of Basie One courses um, for new instructors, it did. So, so at some point you've gone down the pathway of, of being selected as a trainer for Basie? Yeah, so that's actually what, what I started with initially is, um, and I'm trying to kind of reflect to when that was. So basically it was around 2000, yeah, 2003, I think it was, mm. um, I became a Snow Sports Scotland tutor. Okay. And basically that, I don't know if you, do you know much about, like Snow Sports Scotland and ASSI and things like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yes. Okay, so the I was deli- originally delivering the um, the Snow Sports Scotland ASSI. So that essentially back then was pretty similar to the Basie Level One that we have now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that for a number of years, and there was a, a, a period of time where um, Basie started to administer the. Administer is that the correct word? Yeah, they basically yeah. promote a run um, level one courses in the UK, but in collaboration with Snowsport Scotland and Snowsport England. Okay. Um, so basically, what happened is there was a period of time where the tutors from uh, Snowsport Scotland, and I think Snowsport Wales as well, but basically, and Snowsport England, um, they were invited to be UK tutors for basically delivering the courses for everybody, if you see what I mean. So mm-hmm. um, I did that for a period of time um, initially and then progressed over to be, so that I turned, so basically I was a UK, basically UK tutor uh, in 2009-ish. Mm-hmm. And then just trying to remember when I then progressed to be a trainer, it was about seven years ago. So I then then converted over to be a trainer. So being a, Basie UK tutor it meant delivering 
courses in the UK but not abroad. And then being a trainer meant you could deliver level one courses and above abroad. Mm-hmm. That kind of makes sense. Um, so I've been kind of delivering that kind of content, yeah, for quite a long time. And I was doing also do initially a lot of my clients were people that were training ski instructors as well. Uh, they still are actually, right? Um, so I'm quite involved in that kind of environment, particularly kind of UK based initially. Yeah. And yeah, yeah so I've, I've really value what can be achieved kind of in, you know, in snow domes and on dry slope. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's good. Really good. That's, that's terrific. Um, so then, you know, uh, after that, so so then I want to move on really to, you know, your business ski focus because I think that's really cool to have like an annual thing going on, um, within skiing. You know, my my year looks a little bit like everything. Get it's a different business model, obviously, but you know, it's bonkers between December and April, and then the period April to august is prepping recruiting you know getting everything sorted for the following year and then all we do really from september to december is kind of sell ski lessons for people that want to book them in for the winter and then we sell a bit little you know a little bit uh, over the course of um uh over the course of you know the, the winter season as well but majority of it gets booked in in advance but everything is geared around making sure that this small four-month kind of window, maybe five months if you count the really early people that we teach in November on the glaciers, but that kind of, I don't know, like that, it's 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 very different to having something, I'm guessing, where you're running lessons and courses year-round because um, that's a very different, different business model, isn't it? It is, it is. I mean, it's... It, yeah, I mean, it tends to go in waves, a bit like what you were saying. So, like, in the UK side of things, anyway. So, like, obviously, May, June is often quite quiet. Mm-hmm. And then it starts to build a little bit. Basically, the closer it goes to winter. So, from well, from now on, it will start to get really busy. Like, October, November, December is normally really, really super busy. Is that busy um, with people prepping for their winter holiday? So it's a bit of a mixture. So this last year was a bit of a trial because since I was doing seasons, Mm. um, whenever I started that, like I've not been in the UK during the winter. So this winter just gone, Mm. ignoring the one before, because obviously everything's quite different. But like the winter just gone um, was the first kind of trial of to see how busy I would be in the winter in the UK. Yeah. Um, actually, that was that was very different because a lot of my clients that I originally I mainly ski with in the UK. Yeah. I didn't realize mainly ski with me outside of the winter in the UK. So okay. they didn't really continue to do it in the winter. Some did, but not many did. Right. So I thought that was quite interesting. But on on talking to um, one of the one of the guys at um, one of the snow facilities, they were saying that they have the same thing. Like it goes in waves and I hadn't really considered that. Yeah. So like you'll have different types of people skiing at different times a year. So they were saying a lot of their winter clients mm. are people that want to do 
a couple of lessons before they go on holiday. Mm-hmm. Whereas their summer clients are more people that want to ski. Um, you know, they'll do multiple. They'll ski multiple times, building up to going away, like through the whole mm-hmm. summer, as yep. opposed to a couple of sessions and then go away. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's. Um, I think what's interesting is that you kind of got a year-round program. I'm guessing your clientele are are looking for something slightly different to what they're what they're looking for from us. But what interested me the most was the philosophy that's kind of writ large on your your website, which I thought was really interesting, which I'm going to quote it because I think it's really cool. It's like efficient skiing lies in focusing on the performance of the ski. And I wonder if you'd mind expanding on that a little bit to tell me what's behind that philosophy. So the what's behind that is I from from the experience I've had over many many years of teaching skiing is um, a lot of people don't they kind of disconnect from what the skis are actually doing on the snow and seem to be more focused on essentially what they look like or positions that they've been asked to make or mm-hmm. positions they think they should do when they ski. Yeah. Um, now, what I find with that is that if you are focused on a body position, you lose the feeling and sensation of what the skis do on the snow, and therefore it can then block development, essentially. So what I spend a lot of time doing is encouraging people to feel the sensations of what's happening with the skis on the snow and then adjusting the movements to that instead. So maybe probably the best things if I give like uh, if I give you an example, so um, I don't know, say we're doing some calf turns and our goal is to leave two lines in the snow. Mm. Um, so what I would do is encourage the student to to be aware of whether they're achieving that or not. So, you know, have a look at the tracks. Yeah, you can see you're leaving two lines in the snow. What does it feel like? Oh, when I, um, so it might be like, okay, when you skid, I feel like I'm traveling sideways. When I'm carving, I feel like I'm going in an arc. I feel like I'm on rails. You know, that type of thing. I'm basically encouraging them to feel sensations for themselves as opposed to me telling them. Um, So I give them the tools to enable them to self-assess their own performance, which then means they develop quicker within the session. But equally, that means you're giving them the tools to develop when they're not with you as well. Mm-hmm. So it kind of fits into what I was saying earlier about working with people uh, in the long ter- over the long period of time mm. as opposed to ski instructing. I teach the same way if I'm teaching someone for a week, but to give them tools to be able to develop long term as opposed to necessarily just for the, for the session, if that makes sense. So that's, that's the reason behind that. And I've, find that makes a massive difference and i would say it not only for the student themselves but also for like trainee ski instructors as well because i think it's really easy to fall into the trap especially a less experienced instructor to pick on things that are easy to see like so look at things that happen with the upper body as opposed to look at what's happening with the skis and work your way up the other way Mm -hmm. yeah um so basically what I teach with my students that are of a lower level is the same as a higher level, but equally 
analyze they're analyzing that way as well as teaching that way if that makes sense yeah yeah it does it does so just to make sure that i've got this this right i mean give me all right in fact no let's do this different way around so give me maybe an example of so you what you're saying is God, get my thoughts together dave the you're giving them indicators as to what they should be looking for and things that are maybe are sort of measurable on the outcome of uh, what the ski is doing on the snow. That is correct. Them, so actually, let's, maybe, maybe I'll just walk yeah. you through that No, no, scenario. no, please do. I'm, so, kind of, I'm with you. I'm kind of, I got myself a bit confused with inputs and outputs because I don't, follow the british system that much anymore and i know you guys talk okay. about that a lot so um but you're essentially you're saying to the you're saying to the the the, the client this is what you should see, fee, feel the ski doing if you do this and that's how you measure success yeah yeah exactly so uh, actually let, i'll give you I'll, I'll walk you through an example because that might be an easier way of doing it so mm. say you're doing some short turns and your goal is to grip from the full line that's your task that you're aiming to do so that's you skiing down and if i said to you dave um when uh when do you feel that you're gripping in the turn mm -hmm. so you give me an answer so whatever that answer is um i don't know you're you i feel i'm gripping after the turn for mm -hmm. example you might say to me so i say well okay how could you how do you know that yeah so what would your answer be to that? How could what sensations do you feel which means that that happens? Yeah, so you're going to feel some sort of pressure through the ski at the point at which it starts gripping, coming back up my leg, say. Yeah, exactly. Or like when I when I'm skidding, I feel like I'm travelling sideways. So I feel like I'm travelling sideways all the way to the point till I'm after the full line, for example. Mm. Um, okay, well, I want you to try to feel that you grip a bit earlier. You would then, then maybe interpret that into, okay, I need to go on the edge a bit earlier to grip earlier. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're kind of leading them to, to answers, not necessarily giving them direct answer. You yeah. might have to give them the direct answer, but you, the goal is to try to lead them to it so that they are more aware of what's happening themselves rather than relying on you giving them feedback. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm going to ask the obvious question because mm. that's my job as the host of the of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Some people may not find that I've, 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 I've skied with coaches who follow this approach previously before, uh, before I fell off the cliff where there's no more coaching. And, um, I found it a bit like wandering around in the fog searching for answers so are there for people like me will you change your approach to be slightly more direct to give them the information that they're searching for because i realize yeah, what you're doing like if you discover the answer yourself you retain more of the information that's a that's like a uh you know this study's been done on that that's a real thing but presumably there are people who just want the info and that's how they work yeah Obviously, you adapt to the client. Yeah. But that said, yeah, so you adapt to the client, but you maybe will need to give them a bit more. Some people might need a bit more information, a bit more direction mm. than someone else. 
but the goal is still to try to aim to go that way. So, for example, I get I had a client that um, has done. Well, it's been skewing me for years, mm-hmm. and one year, and he's he's a he's an engineer, and I've always I always say to him, think less, feel more, and the reason for that is that um, he overthinks a lot of things. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do is encourage him to learn in a different way. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of this is about educating them, the people that you are teaching mm-hmm. as to why you're teaching in a certain way yeah. rather than just teaching them because otherwise they, you're, they might, like you say, they, they might, they might, they're not convinced by the way that you might be trying to teach them. Because you want the answer, for example. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, the reason I'm not giving you the answer is because of this. And then you try out something and they're like, oh, right, now I understand now. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than just going, just avoiding saying things. Does that kind of make sense? No, it, it, it surely does. And there is, um, the, I mean, there is, there is also a kind of, a, the, there are preconceptions that clients come to ski lessons with also. So some people turn up and they just expect to be to have the information kind of downloaded within them, you know, to them. Um, they expect that kind of uh, like command style where it's just you giving info and it's up to them to try and remember as much of it as you possibly can. And they're quite unused to someone who approaches it in 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 a different way. And that's why I'll, I'll do that sometimes just for you know just for fun, like teaching a bunch of different styles and that kind of thing. Um, I suppose, and you can, I think you can do that slightly more if you're in a long-term relationship with a client where you can kind of coach them along. Often what we're looking for in a ski instructor, you know, classic lesson, someone you're, you're going to see once or twice, or you only see them once a year, you're in that situation. You might be looking for slightly quicker fixes where you you just need to give them the information that's going to give them the best results in the short term for the short week or four days that they're here on holiday, for example. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. You, yeah, you have to adapt to whoever you have and some people might need mm. a bit more of a direct approach. I know I agree. So I just wanted to go back to mm, the, the example. I forgot. I didn't finish the example I was saying. So the, the clients that I was explaining about the engineer. Mm. Now he, this was really interesting. So he's been with me for a number of years and one year he came back and so we were working on, we've been working a lot on carving, for example, mm. and he couldn't carve all the way around the turn and he hadn't been able to for a number of years. One year he came back. So I skied with him in the UK and uh, in team. Mm-hmm. He came back one year in team and he could carve. I was like, Rick, what have you been doing? And he said, you know what I did? <laughs> he goes, I went to Hemel. And you used to be able to get off. It used to be like two get-off points. So you could get off a third of the way up, then a bit higher, then from the top. Okay. Um, and he goes, what I did is I got off the first get-off point and just did railway turns until I could do it consistently and I could feel it. Then I went up a bit higher, repeated it again until I could feel it. Then I did it from the top and repeated it until I felt it. Yeah. So the he changed how he was learning, but that took – a number of years to get to that point uh-huh. so that kind of on what you've just said that matches what you've just said so it gives you they need that they need the time so like you say if you've got like a one-off three-hour lesson 
mm. you haven't got the time to <laughs> change how someone learns. But if you're with yeah. someone over a number of years, then obviously you do. So he's switched his learning to be able to learn in a more effective way. And mm. it paid off, basically. Right, it's cool, isn't it? That's really good. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah. 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 Okay. So in the within then let's say you're focusing well you are focusing on on the performance of the ski. Which element of the performance or oh, which element? Let's not try and use too many Bayesian words cuz uh okay. I I'm I'm using element as a <laughs> I don't know why I said element. Uh, which which bit of the performance of the ski do you tend to end up focusing most upon? Is it the bending of it? Is it the edging of it? Is it the, I don't know, skidding of it? Like, what's your, like, do you have a default that you go to, or, or is it, or are you kind of mixing mixing it up? Oh, okay. So it's probably a mixture. So I'm just going to go back to the, for the moment, back to the carving example. So um, the goal is to ski down and leave two clean lines in the snow. So I'm watching the skier come down. For example, I notice they're skidding at the start and then carving at the end. Mm. So there'll be a number of reasons why that might be happening, but probably, uh, well, well, yeah, so it could be a number of reasons. So one is it could be the environment they're in as well. So it might be the terrain you've chosen or the weather conditions. So there's lots of different factors to consider. So it might be that you've chosen the wrong environment for it. So you might need to change that. So it's difficult for me to answer that correct question too directly because you might think actually terrain's a bit steep let's take them on something flatter mm-hmm. um might be that um that they are like psychologically it might be the speed is intimidating for them or there are too many people on the slopes they're a bit more like psyched out by the people mm. so they are deliberately skidding to slow down so it could be psychological reasons so You've kind of got like the environment, the, the psychological, could be technical reasons. There could be all those kind of factors. But mm-hmm. say it was a technical reason, for example, it could just be that they are rotating their feet and then going onto the edge. So the way you would change that is literally by, you could literally just say, I want you to try and go on the edge at the start. So the ski calves all the way through the turn. Mm. Um, so it, it's really difficult for me to give you a, a direct answer because you've got all those factors to kind of consider. Um, so what I tend to do, like I, I don't basic terminology wise, but it helps <laughs> explain yeah. things a little bit. But like we use something called TP. So there yeah. could be a technical reason why someone is doing something. Could be a tactical reason. So that tactics could be like the size of the turn, like whether it whether the corridor is too narrow, for example, mm-hmm. or they chose to ski down when there were lots of people in the way, maybe they should wait next time as a tactic. Like that's a typical like problem we get, get in a snow dome, for example, is it's obviously it's a confined environment, so it can be quite busy. Mm-hmm. So you're best to wait and then go mm-hmm. rather than just go when there's a gap because then yeah. you catch up all the people and then, so technical, tactical, and then it could be a physical reason. So whether they're physically able to do do it or not, but that could be like like energy level wise. So if you know it might be close to lunchtime, maybe you've chosen the wrong time to do it because they're going to be physically tired, yeah. Or 
dehydrated or altitude, you know, all of those factors, the equipment they're on, the environment they're in. Um, so there's all of those bits. So you're almost best to eliminate um, the ones that are, so TP, so um, is, to, is to eliminate the physical, the, uh, the psychological, emotional, all of those bits to isolate them away from the from the problem, if you see what I mean. So you're only left with the technical afterwards. Mm. Does that kind of make sense? I know it does. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, obviously, you work through those according to to what you're looking for. I suppose what I was saying, um, what I wanted to get to was like, is there is there one element of how the ski performs that you end up doing more than all of the rest? Generally, it's quite a general question, but I mean, I tend to find out here in the Alps, the, the, the common misunderstanding that people have is about how to ski is normally with regards to speed control and it's normally regard, with regards to skillful ability to rotate the ski across the full line. That That's the one I end up working on a lot for people. So, yeah, I would agree with that, actually. I would, yeah, I would say that's probably the first thing, it, no matter what level of skier they are as well. So whether they're a snowplow, you know, snowplow yeah. turner or whether they are a parallel skier or they can carve or whatever. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speed control. Yeah, and presu- I mean, presumably you don't spend a great deal of time, do you? I know that some of the indoor domes, they're quite limited in terms of their space. Certainly remember being in Hemel and not managing to get many turns in before you know you hit the bottom but like are you working that often on on like carving turns in in indoors uh yes so what i tend to do yeah we do quite a lot actually so Mm. um obviously it's probably it depends on the level of skier but yes if they if i generally start to get them to a point where they're starting to carve Mm -hmm. um in a snow dome and obviously it's probably a little bit more challenging than on the mountain because especially if you're introducing a carved turn, because it's actually quite quite steep if you're introducing a plow turn. Once they're mm. plow turn, I don't mean a plow turn, I mean a carved turn, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's, um, it does make it more challenging, but yes, I definitely do. I'd start to encourage them to carve initially at the end of the turn and then work their way up until they're doing it earlier in the turn. And then mix, I tend to try to mix things up a lot as well, because... If, um, obviously, if you're working on something for a long period of time, um, they can lose kind of concentration. So I try to mix things up. So every kind of, after about an hour, I try to switch on to something else, even if the focus might be similar. So it could be, like you say, speed control, or it could be trying to carve away on the turn, or it could be anything. But like, mm. try to mix it up every, uh, li- well, yeah, an hour is maximum, and then go on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Do you, with regards to the efficient performance of the ski, because I think, you know, that's, if you get the ski working efficiently, you know, you move over it in the right way, you stack yourself against it in the right way, it does what you want, and you blend that with an understanding of what it is you're trying to do, you know, good things happen. But what... Do you then go into the minutiae of people's ski setup? Because that's another one that I've been really focusing on in the last two or three years. Because often people come, 
and I think they're mounted too far back on the ski or they're, you know, they've got too much of a rise in the heel or the toe or, you know, like they're in the wrong boot. Like how, how much of that stuff do you go into? So for the, for the higher level skiers, mm. um, I do talk about, um, like how their skis are tuned. Mm-hmm. Um, and who, who I'd maybe recommend for getting their skis done. Mm-hmm. Um, and also who I'd recommend to get, I mean, I personally don't get involved in it, but I steer people in the right direction. So who I'd recommend to get those things done yeah. or who to advise them how to do it themselves. Um, with regard to boots set up and things, again, I steer them in the direction of people that I think um, would be the best for that person. Um, so it's more, yeah, more equipment and about the, and the right equipment for them as well. Mm. Um, rather than the setup of the equipment, I kind of steer them in the direction of people that would be, that I think would be good to, to help them with that. Who do you normally, do you mind me asking who you normally recommend for that kind of thing? Yeah, you had, (laughs) so you had, you had Colin on before, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I yeah, so I use Colin for boot fitting mm-hmm. um, for me personally, uh, and I encourage my clients to go to him. Um, so he, I use him for boot fitting. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Ski servicing uh, in the UK, uh, Bartlett's um, is where I encourage people to go to. Yeah, I don't I don't really have much experience with anyone else like with skis. Mm. in the uk and there's only one company that i would use in teen actually for skis as well um a ski shop called ski one that i use them because they, they do everything by hand right um so i i just like to know like that <laughs> yeah. uh, they're looked after <laughs> you can tell that though i i also take my stuff to a to a shop um in chattel called vertical horizons and for the ski instructors they do they do do it by hand as far as I can tell, and you feel the difference compared to just running it through the machine. That's for sure. Definitely, I, I I do believe that you can make a pair of skis ski really badly if you try <laughs> quite easily if you set them up incorrectly, can't you? So yeah, um, yeah, it makes a big difference. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, One of the um, the reason that I initially uh, got in touch with you is I saw I watch your videos and stuff, and I I, I kind of. I'm very, very interested in the mindset coaching that you have been doing. I'm guessing that is largely online, um, but not so much to the aspect which is very popular at the moment of things like mental health and stuff. That's I'll put that over there somewhere because there's enough people talking about that uh, for sure. But in terms of mindset coaching, that's something that I've used extensively during my sort of quest to get through all exams and all that sort of stuff did a lot of work on visualization um i believe that's a really powerful thing and something that that helped me tremendously the power of the mind is extraordinary really and um i wonder if you could expand a little bit on kind of the work that you're doing with that how you got into it all of that sort of stuff okay now that's something i um I have a huge amount of interest in actually, and um, it probably will help if I explain a little bit as to why I have an interest in it. Mm, so, in 
just to give you a bit of a background, because then it will make um, make a bit more sense. Mm. But in um, in 2017, um, I was having quite a lot of back problems, like upper back problems, mm. and um, I was ha- I had arthritis in my wrists. And okay. um, I basically I spoke to a friend of mine who's a strength and conditioning coach, mm. and he. And I spoke to him a lot about it all. And he's like, first of all, so I was having medication for the arthritis. Sorry, I missed that out. Okay. Um, and the medication is something that basically it suppresses your immune system. Cut long story short. Okay. Not going into the detail, but it basically suppresses your immune system. Now, I spoke to this friend of mine who's a strength and conditioning coach, a guy called Frank Nussi. Hmm. And he said, the first thing you should do is to change your diet. Um, so he said, stop, stop eating gluten, stop, um, having dairy and also cut out added sugar. Okay. He then put me in contact with not a nutritionist, but like a specialist in the, in the States. Mm -hmm. And, um, he, he asked those questions. I filled out a form and he basically gave me like a, uh, like a protocol of, um, supplementation to take. Mm -hmm. And over that, in, in, so that was the start of this journey, basically. So I started with that. Um, Frank, I started doing strength training with Frank. Um, and as I started this journey, I also started working a lot on like mindset and using meditation and journaling on a daily basis. Now, I'll explain how this all fits together, but I went to a, so that was the first part. And then after that point, I was going to, when we were doing um, seasons in teen, I went to a physio in teen um, and the person who I normally see wasn't available. um, So I went to see someone else and he goes, Stuart, I see you're in here every month. You come in here too often. Uh, There's something, there's something else going on. Uh Um, And, I'd been to a number, this is about the back, sorry, and I'd been to a number of different physios and specialists about my back, and he goes, Stuart, you're too stressed. There's okay. too much stress going on. You're trying to do too much. Um, you need. To, you should maybe consider meditation. So he was the one, and this had been told by at least another three or four <laughs> other kind of uh, physios or mm-hmm. specialists in that kind of field. And... Um, and I thought, well, I, you know what? I'll, I fell up with the pain. I'll try it. Mm-hmm. Um, cut a long story short from the point of starting the medication. Three years later, I'm off of the medication now. Now I don't know whether it is down to the meditation or the diet change or, or the strength training, probably a combination of them all, but it started me on a journey of, realizing that a lot of my life was more about like firefighting rather than planning and being present and things like this. Mm-hmm. And it, and I then started listening to a lot of podcasts about personal development and, and things like that. So it's basically I've like implemented like, like daily habits into my routine and things like that, which have made a massive difference. So from doing all of that, I think that helped massively with um, 
with my approach to how to manage things when COVID hit as well, because mm-hmm. uh, it enabled me to, I think, pivot and think of alternatives. Whereas before, I thought there's only one way of doing something. I could only do seasons in teen and I only could be in the UK mm-hmm. in, the, in the summer. Mm-hmm. But then obviously everyone was in the same boat where, well, a lot of people are in the same boat where no income overnight. So it made me think more laterally. And I think that going through that process mm. helped me towards it. And then off of the back of that, in the, in the middle of COVID, I thought, because uh, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and um, I've been doing a few kind of training courses and things online. And they were talking about uh, like setting up coaching businesses, not re- relating to skiing at the moment, but uh, and um, it, it inspired me. And I thought, you know what? I would just run like a free kind of seven day like mindset challenge. So I did that, and it was quite inspirational because there were I had a group of people, and the idea was we did key challenges every single day to push them outside of their comfort zone Mm -hmm. and one of the ladies that was in the group um on the first day i did like a zoom call and i explained how it's going to work and the idea is you do something every day that challenges you and then like you were talking about or we were talking about before the interview about accountability Mm -hmm. i the idea was once they've done whatever it is they post whatever they've done into a private facebook group that, that only the people on this challenge can see yeah and Day one, she was like, I can't do any exercise because I'm injured. Um, uh, I can't do any of that. So I was like, that's fine. Just do anything that challenges you. So she goes, well, I'll tell you what, I'll start sorting things out in my house. Day one, you saw pictures of her sorting out her house. Day two, same thing. Day three, uh, because she can see what everyone else is doing, she's been for a bike ride. Now, she's never, she hadn't ridden for months and months and months. Mm. By the end of the seven days, She's posted in the group saying, um, "In um, I'm going to do I'm going to do a charity bike ride to raise raise money for breast cancer. Got to do mm-hmm. eight hundred. It's either eight hundred kilometers or eight hundred miles in a month, and she's done that now. Like just okay. all from doing things like this. There were other people in the group that were just you could just see because they were posting their Strava posts where they've been for bike rides, and they were all doing a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more each day." Mm-hmm. And it's all come off the back of what we were talking about earlier about your mindset and how you approach things. Mm-hmm. So that that basically kind of proved to me in a way that um, that that helps basically, and that I have knowledge that will help others to achieve things like that if they want to. And it's all come from like kind of my own experiences, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. No, I do. I do. So then that has taken, so that's taken you to a place where, did it get rid of your back problems? Curious about that because I'm uh, riddled with back problems. So back pain is, I still get it, but it's mm. manageable. Mm. Uh, I, the, I would have said, so the meditation, that's really good because it made me aware of uh, so basically, when you say you're running late and you're in the car and you're driving somewhere, mm-hmm. um, 
your body releases chemicals which are essentially the same chemicals that are released. So you're getting stressed and you and I, I can't remember the name of the chemicals, but they're running through your body. And mm. basically the same chemicals that run through your body when you're getting anxious about running late are the same chemicals that back in prehistoric days when you're running away from a tiger or something. Yeah. It's exactly the same chemicals. Yeah. And what I didn't realize prior to the meditation was that that was happening i couldn't even recognize it in my body um whereas now i can read myself better so i know if i'm stressed so linking back to the back pain mm. the i can tell when it's going to happen to help me manage it so rather than it, it escalating mm. so it might start with a headache a stress headache for example then a little bit of tightness in the shoulders then a bit of stomach but, you know, but tension in the stomach, for example, whereas if I recognize it in my head, I can stop it before it gets to my back. So it helps manage it. And also the other thing is there are, like I use a, an app called Calm, like a meditation app. Mm -hmm. And it's a bit weird and it sounds a bit out there, but like if you, there is one specifically for back pain, but it's about, it's a book I read actually, which is really good. Um, I think it's called, uh, meditation to ease pain relief, I think. Okay. Might be a good book for you to read. Yeah. But it talks about primary and secondary pain. So you've got the initial pain from whatever it is, mm. and then the secondary pain is how you react to that pain. So it's like, I'm in pain, or I feel really sorry for myself. It's really painful, really awkward, you know. Or it's you accept it's happening and you relax into it. And bizarrely, like through this meditation, the pain starts to ease. It's very, very bizarre, mm -hmm. but it does seem to work. Yeah. And, but I think, I think that you, I, I reached a point where it was kind of desperation to ease it. Mm -hmm. I think I wasn't ready for that before when people told me before you have to be in the right place, like in your life, I guess, to yeah. and be open to, to let it happen. But it does for me it's helped massively, massively. Mm. And actually, it helps with that, but it also helps with, like, in general conversations and things like that. What I didn't realize um, also was when I was having conversations with people in the past yeah. is that I would be, wouldn't be present. I would be thinking of other things, oh, yeah. whereas the meditation has made me more present. That's always a good thing. Yeah. My, um, I've, I've read a lot of stuff to do with, um, you know, the links between, you know, back issues and, and stress and all that sort of stuff. Um, back issues as a manifestation of, you know, deep underlying you know, unconscious stress. Um, I've certainly had some stuff to help me, but the thing I'm, I'm, it's interesting that you should say that because I've come to the mindset lately mainly through um uh mainly through the, the the sort of the cancer struggles of someone i used to know pretty well and i'm kind of just the issues that i've got with my back i had a lovely summer where it didn't hurt at all or when the, the link with that would be you know where there was no stress it was extremely relaxed this summer and everything was okay and then immediately kind of, you know, September hits and I've got loads of work to do. Um, 
or kind of the work is coming in and I'm reactive to it as opposed to proactive to it. Um, you know, lo and behold, back issues return. But I'm actually getting to the point where I'm just a little bit tired of being injured and I'm kind of just getting on with it, you know, and, and just saying, well, there's loads of people who've got it worse than me. I think it's just time that we just, you know, keep moving and just view this as a thing that isn't really that much of a com inconvenience, but you know, it hurts sometimes it's a bit of a pain sometimes, but I'm going to stop feeling sorry for myself and I'm just going to, you know, keep going. Um, that's kind of where I am with it at the moment. It's, uh, it's a bit, I quite know how to say it. It's kind of like, it's something that I've just accepted that I might have to live with for the rest of my life, which is, not great, you know, like accepting that it's actually not going to get fixed, you know, like good as new. Does that make sense? It does. Do you find that there that it's a little less painful now? Oh, right now, I won't. It's just in general from oh. that point on. Yeah, there are. I've got to move. I think is the is the key. Um, you know, sitting still for long periods is not good for me. So. I think that's also something, but yeah, like that. Yeah. I'm just kind of not going to give it the attention that it wants. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff like tied up within that. If you read into the kind of the meditation, uh, uh, literature, you know, and then you get into all sorts of weird stuff about self and the, the, you know, how many people are we actually? And it's, um, I haven't, I haven't gone quite, deep enough as I'd want to really understand it right now. But um, there's certainly, I'm trying to change my mindset towards towards how I feel about this kind of ongoing back issue. Because for me, I find that that acceptance bit is quite a big thing rather than trying to fight it. Mm. In a good way is what I mean by that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm... No, I don't know. I mean, that's it, it's it's a direction I think that I want to go in. It's just you know, look, I've had enough of worrying about this. I've had enough of trying to, you know, I had enough of trying to fix it for want of a better word. And now it's just something right. Okay, well, this is just something that we'll take with us. This is part of my baggage, you know. Mm. Mm. But we'll see. We will see. That's interesting. Yeah. That's so, interesting. but you're, but you're Sorry, go no, no. Go on. You were going to say something. I was going to say, along the same lines as you, I found that if I'm static, sitting for too long, standing for too long, in a car too long, mm. anything that's for too extended periods of time, it sounds like it's similar to yours. Mm. Uh, it makes it far worse. So I, I've been a bit slack in the last week or so, but trying to be active every day makes a big difference to me and daily stretching as well. Yeah, daily stretching. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the stretching really does help me, but it's so bloody boring. Like, I, <laughs> it's the worst thing. Like, I know I should be doing it, and uh, my physio has kind of lately doubled it. She's just like, you know, each each stretch needs to be two minutes. I'm like, you're serious because that's gonna <laughs> like the, the daily stretching. Then is gonna be an hour. You know, like that's just too much. You know, it was cool when it was twenty minutes, but now, oh. Yeah, I know I should be doing that. I should be. There's, um, I, I know it's not a little bit of a tangent. Well, kind of a tangent, but there's an app that I use, which which um, 
my wife Charlie introduced me to mm. about three weeks ago. Okay. And it's amazing. It's a stretching app. Right. Um, I, I can't remember the name of it now. It's literally, they've just changed the name of it, but it was okay. called Romwad, I think. Right. And I thought it was, it's so good because it's stretching, but you can choose whatever you want to stretch. So, and it okay. will play a load of videos. Yeah. But they are, like it's all about breathing and stuff. So it's like meditation and stretching simultaneously. Okay. So I really quite like it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. I'll, if I remember the name, I'll send you the yeah, link maybe later. Just, just ping me it later or something. That'd be cool. Yeah. The yeah. the this um so so this is something that you kind of got a group of people and you're actively doing. You know, how are you relating that then to? Because we talked about kind of personal issues and that sort of thing, but presumably you're doing this targeted at skiing for people well both actually so i originally have been targeting it more to skiing and my current kind of clients um but i've kind of opened it up to anybody because i it's just it helps massively with everything just the lots of all the different things that i've learned mm. um in fact when i first started doing it and uh, it made me realize quite a few things like I'm going to link it back to skiing for the moment. Mm. Um, but um, what I've learned through doing this process is that your, our brain naturally defaults to the negative if you allow it to. Mm. And um, I can't remember, there are studies about it, but basically it's to do with, you know, kind of caveman days and things like that, where you like, you had to be aware of dangers and things. Whereas now, because, because yeah. otherwise you would die. Whereas now, like we worry about whatever it might be, like what so-and-so says about you or whatever, some kind of judgments and things. Mm -hmm. And what, um, what made me realize I had a bit of a light bulb moment. Um, it was, I don't know, it must've been a, two, a couple of years ago is I was teaching a client that I ski with a lot and, um, he skied down and he did like, I don't know, I can't remember. He's doing short turns and they were really good turns. There was one mistake. Hmm. Uh, and he got, to, I said, Oh, how was that run? And he goes, it was, it was, he ignored all the other good turns and just focused on that one turn that was a mistake. Hmm. And that just highlighted to me that very point that I was saying about the brain defaulting to the negative. Yes. As opposed to the positive. So from that point, I started to, I said, oh, that's interesting. You know the other 10 turns are really good, don't you? Mm. And he's like, hmm, I didn't notice those. I was like, I want you to start to rethink how you ski. And if the majority of the time you're achieving the task that you're aiming to achieve, yeah. then that's good. Yes. It's only an issue if the majority of the times are showing that mistake that you're talking about. So I switched, I changed, I've adapted the coaching to incorporate that in it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that that is quite a big game changer, particularly if people are aware that like your brain will default to that if you let it. Mm. Yes, no, that's for sure. And it's one thing, actually, I wonder, I wonder if that is a worldwide thing. I've had this conversation with, you know, curious, I had this, I having a coffee with my wife this morning and we were talking about, I can't remember how we got onto the subject, but it was something to do with British people. And <laughs> my, uh, 
my experience every time I go back to the island these days is that it's like a little grey negative little place, you know? And every you know, oh, I don't know, whenever I meet up with, with um with anyone British out here, it's very easy to default to the negative. It seems to be what we do. And I say we because I'm also Swiss now, so I'm kind of a bit of the both, but I I I've met over the course of uh, since I've been here in Switzerland, I've met an awful lot of Americans. And the thing I really like about those guys is that they are really positive all the time. And it's like a breath of fresh air to meet those guys. And like everything's positive and it's real like can do kind of thing compared to going into to, to, to the UK where it's just like everything is just, you know, everything's a bit, bit negative they're always looking for the the, the problem um mm. and it's actually a little bit similar in the francophone world where the sort of default answer is no to everything and um i find it really really refreshing really refreshing to, to meet you know people from north america and include canadians with that is that they're, they're just positive people and i'm sure that's the same in other parts of the world as well but it's uh it seems to be something that is unique a little bit to the um to the uh, the UK part of the Anglophone world. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I, um, I've done, like I said, listened to a lot of podcasts and things and done a lot of research. And, and I think a lot of that, like what you're saying is really interesting. Um, and I think that, and what I've learned as well is that the environment we're in, like has a direct impact on that as well. Like, so the people you surround yourself by, for example, yeah, or like the types of things you watch on TV, like, or the types of things you watch on TV or the news or anything like mm-hmm. that. Like, yeah, I, I, we're kind of digressing a little bit, but like a lot of the news is obviously negative as well. So oh, if you're watching well, yeah. it is. a lot horrible. of negative stuff or surrounded by negative people, I mm-hmm. guess you kind of take it on board as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, that actually is something I'm really, really wary of. Is like, am I whatever I'm taking in? Is that like, is that good for me or not? Type thing. And that, and actually, you've kind of highlighted a really good point there. I think that's so a I really, really valid God, point. Sorry. I mean, there's a, there's a. I don't watch television. Don't even have TV connected here. Um, I'm currently wor- <laughs> currently working my way through all five series of original Miami Vice, which is uh, which is like <laughs> takes you back to a kind of a slightly more wholesome view of the world how it was in the eighties. But the um, the I also I quit more or less most of social media. So like I have a Facebook account, but I don't go on it at all. And uh, I quit Telegram for the same reason. It's just relentlessly negative. And I don't read the newspapers very much. I'll occasionally flick through the, the, the Nouvelliste, which is the local ballet paper here. And I'll occasionally flick through something else. But it is it's bad news sells, which is why all the stories in the newspaper, you know, if they filled the newspaper full of good news, it just wouldn't have any kind of reach. Um, yeah. You know, and, and that's, I'm just a little bit tired of the relentless cycle of negativity that is pumped upon us, um, you know, through the media. It's hard to find good news and you're constantly being told what to worry about. You know, the last three cycles of that have been COVID and uh, and then 
you know, war in Ukraine. And now you're supposed to be worrying about energy crisis and all this sort of stuff. And it's just relentless. It doesn't matter what you think about it and where you stand on, on any of those kind of topics. The point is, is what's projected at you is just relentlessly negative. So for me, my life's easier. I just turned it all off. And, if, <laughs> and I don't feel like I'm missing anything at all. You know? I'm not missing out. If, if there's news that needs to reach me, it will reach me somehow. But it's not, you know, it's not going to, I'm not going to gain anything by not being on Facebook or whatever. Yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good point. In fact, I don't watch the news at all either. No. Um, no, for that very reason, actually. <laughs> so I think you'll be really careful about what you allow into your life. So, mm. the you know, the better way is to say, right, okay, I'm just going to go, I'm going to delete all this sort of stuff. And be very careful about what I let in, what I read, where I read it, you know, that kind of stuff, because it, it does have the ability to negatively impact your life hugely, I think. Definitely, definitely. No, I could not agree more. Mm. Mm. But you can make, like, let, let's let's flick it back towards skiing again, because I'm sure mm. listeners are not that interested in me ranting about the media. But the the <laughs> <laughs> the you can also presumably help people with their skiing, by getting their mindset in the right order and then maybe targeting the power of their mind towards what it is that they want to achieve on snow. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of that, like we were kind of touched on earlier on about being, I think a lot of this is about awareness is being aware. Yes. Okay. My brain's going to naturally default to the negative. So let's start to look at, am I achieving whatever it is the majority of the time? Um, I think is one thing. So awareness probably on that note is really important. Um, the, and the other thing is for me, I find it really helps when I'm coaching someone or teaching someone is to try to give them like minimal things to work on mm -hmm. and, and things that are more related to like we've spoken about before related to what the ski is doing on the snow. So you don't, you're not encouraging them to overthink yeah, um, I did. So a trap I kind of felt fell into a, a number of years ago was I was training some guys and girls for towards level three in the UK. Mm. Uh, um, and I took them out to team to do some training in team. And I realized I basically I taught them to ski really well in a snow dome. Mm -hmm. um, but they were almost too expecting too much. Yeah. Like, um, too much perfection. Um, so since then, I've now changed that approach to, you know, developing specific, like, techniques within the, within the snow dome environment, for example, mm -hmm. but also and teaching them different movement patterns so that they're not used to doing the same thing all the time. So when you're on a mountain, and obviously it's ever-changing, yes. so they're used to making change. So I think a lot of these things with the mind can be addressed by how you set things up mm -hmm. for them to learn like giving them one clear focus like you're going to do short turns you're going to grip at this point are you achieving it the majority of the time and that's it like nothing else and then if something else is relevant then okay the reason you're losing grip is because you're going on to your inside ski so let's try to be more on your outside foot then then link that in if relevant, but don't add it in 
if it's not relevant. <laughs> do you see what I mean? Yeah, I, t- I totally do. I totally do. And I think that is the, it's good that you've identified that because you can create some very good skiers, I'm guessing, in a semi-controlled environment like the snow, snow, uh, snow dome, right? Like the, the gradient is always the same. Um, the snow is more or less always the same. Temperature is always the same. But I think that's the, the big challenge of the, the, the wide, you know, the big mountains is that the variability means that you've got to, you've actually got to build some quite adaptable skiers. Yes. That have the skills yeah. to adapt to whatever's thrown at them in real time, right? Yeah, you have to teach them how to ski different ways, like on the same terrain, so that they've got that versatility for mm. being in the mountain. Um, and yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I suppose for them, it doesn't harm them to have like a very solid like movement pattern. That's always been one of my skills, is that I've got a very, very solid like short term that I can kind of replicate anywhere. But there are certain times when that won't work. You know, the default won't work, you know, where you need a different style of turn. You know, say you've got to allow your feet to, you know, you're going over a roller or something, you've got to allow your feet to soften, you know, your legs to soften to allow the skis to come up towards you to make that roller, for example, or extend down into a bump or something like that. That is, you, you the variability of the wide mountain is, is, means that you've got to have something else in your locker other than that solid, you know, short term that you can replicate anywhere. Yeah, definitely. I actually, I think you've made a really good point there is I find something that, you know, like when you're teaching people in flat light, Mm. um, often people don't like that, do they? No, I don't. I mean, I don't like it. (laughs) No, I don't like like it either. But something that, I've kind of started to appreciate over time um, is um, I started to think like why people don't like that. And, um, you know, like if you are, um, if you're stand, if you like with trainers on, if you stand on one leg with your eyes open, it's really easy. Mm. But if you stand on one leg with your eyes closed, um, it's much, much harder, but you can feel all of the adjustments you're making with your foot and your ankle to yes. maintain balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of relate that to skiing in flat light. So, like, skiing in flat light, you're more aware of, like, what your body is doing, like, fore and aft and laterally and how you're moving on your feet. Yes. Um, so that's something I point out, I find really helps. I point out to people in flat light is, yeah, it's harder, but you're more aware of what your body's doing. In skiing on corduroy in, or, like, blue sky, yeah. it feels really good. That's but right. you're less aware, almost, of what your all your the subtleties of what's happening with your foot. Yeah. Whereas in the flat light, you're aware of every single muscle movement. It doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. Yeah. Um, and so I find actually explaining it in that way can, can also help with like how you approach it mentally mm. uh, in more challenging conditions as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally with you. It's uh, you can learn a lot. It's very, it's interesting, isn't it? That whole flat light thing um you can feel so much going on and it really you know people really struggle with it i certainly do um yeah and uh it's it's it, it really heightens all of your other senses when you you come into that yeah yeah definitely. okay um Stuart, i'm running out of time and I'm a bit annoyed because I could talk no hours and hours and hours, but also I know that you've got to be somewhere as well. So 
what I'm going to do is I'd love to get a part two with you in at some point in the future. And I will come back to you on that um, because I think it's been a great chat. And I think that you've got a lot more, a lot more to say, and I've got a lot more to say to you. Um, but for now, let's wrap this one up um, for now. Can, where can I normally give everyone a chance to kind of plug themselves? So if people want to find you, where, where can they find you? What's the best place to get you? So I do a lot on social media, as you've already said. Mm. So with the Ski Focus, just go on to, just put Ski Focus into Facebook. Okay. Um, and the same for Instagram. So I'm at Ski Focus. Um, mm-hmm. Mindset coaching wise, which is a bit more specific to mindset coaching, um, is, is Stuart J. Bernard. Uh, just put that into Instagram or Facebook. Um, okay. I've got accounts with both of them. So it will have, I, I post loads and loads of content on there. Yeah. And to try to help people. So, um, yeah, there's lots of lots of things to help people. If they would like to have a look, that would be amazing. That is really cool. So thank you. And obviously there they can, yeah, they can Google Ski Focus and that will come up as well. Yeah, um, they go to my page. Yeah, yeah definitely. Pretty well, yeah. pretty well easy to find. Perfect. Well, look, um, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. Uh, like you say, I, I would love to catch up with you again and, um, and carry on this conversation that we're having. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah, thank you, Dave. I've really, it's been really enjoyable. I just want to say how uh, how easy you make it to talk to you about <laughs> things like this as a, as an interviewer. So you make me feel very relaxed uh, and comfortable to talk to you. So thank you very much for doing oh, that. You're going to make me blush. All I do have to do is listen. It seems to be what uh, what I've been put on this earth to do. So uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I've always been quite good at just listening and letting other people do the talking, and I'm fine with that. So. Cool.